0: You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Let's get into the show. Welcome everybody to On The Whistle, where we explore the relationship between mentorship and youth sports and the connection between the two. Today, I'm super excited to have on our show, Greg Zaff, founder of Squash Busters. which Greg's coming to me currently during the COVID crisis from his uh, headquarters up at Northeastern University. They have an f- incredible facility up there. So we're super excited to have you, Greg, and thanks so much for taking taking the time to connect and talk today.
1: You're w- welcome. Pleasure to be here.
0: Great. So Greg, uh, tell us a little bit about the game at Squatch. I mean, I'm assuming that most people don't know the game and probably have never seen it, and so if there's just a way that maybe you could share with us a way for them to you know, create a picture in their mind about how the game's played or how it works, that might be a good starting point for us.
1: Yep. Well, the easiest way to describe it is, is it's sort of like racquetball. It's two people in a four walled room, uh, each holding a long, skinny racket, not the, not the same shape as a racquetball racket, hitting a ball, a rubber ball that's smaller than a racquetball. And the idea is to run your opponent into the ground until they can't move anymore and make the ball bounce twice on the floor before they can hit it back. And that is basically a quick description of squash.
0: It's funny you say that because, uh, you know, I started playing with my two boys and my daughter, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago and we kind of got exposed to it. And uh, I was running them around. And then I saw this older guy. I was maybe 40 years old, Greg. And this guy came in. He had to be 70. He had braces all over his knees. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, and a big, uh, uh, big gut belly. Yeah. I thought to myself, I'll, I'll sweep this guy up. Well, don't you know that he could put the ball wherever he wanted it? Into the corners, deflecting, using the back wall. Two minutes into it, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. He had he had probably taken three steps, and I had probably taken 2,000 steps. Yep, yep. And that's where I started to understand that this is a lot of chess in it's the chess. game of squash. Yeah. It, it's it, it, angles, it's deflection, it's placement, and it's extending your arm as long as it'll go without having to use your feet. You got there's, it. Yep. There's so much math in this game. That's right, yep. It's really, really an incredible game, but it's not a game that everybody just gets to go play because it's squash court. So it is a game. I'm imagining of of access. I'm just curious, like, uh, how did you you've been playing your whole life? When did you start to play, and how how'd you get access to it?
1: Well, it has not traditionally been a very accessible game in the United States, which is precisely the reason I started Squash Busters. It's been a game for privileged people for better than a hundred years. It, it started in New England and, uh, basically, uh, prior to the urban squash movement, if you didn't go to a private school or a, a school resemb- either an Ivy league college or something resembling an Ivy league college. And if you weren't in the business world, when you, when you grew up and entered the work world, you probably would not have encountered much squash. And I was uh, fortunate. I encountered squash at private school. My mother uh, forced me initially to go to private school when I entered ninth grade. And I had been uh, a a very serious tennis player. And the school, name of the school is Belmont Hill School. It's right outside of Boston. Kind of required you to play sports year round. And so in the winter months, squash became the thing that I learned and and committed to. And I would say initially, I didn't really wanna do it much. I really wanted to focus on tennis, um, but I didn't have that opportunity in the winter. So I played squash and I started to compete at it. And uh, you know, by the time I got out of high school, I had really fallen in love with the sport and had gotten pretty good at it, good enough to play in college, which is where I then uh, continued playing i went i went to Williams College a million years ago and um, and played squash there very enthusiastically and that 's kind of how i uh, how I came to the sport
0: yeah and, and what kind of coaching did you have through that process and what effect did those coaches have on you? Were they just great squash coaches or did they help you take that journey from you know youth to adulthood and In some fashion
1: without a doubt the latter they were they were mentors of mine and they were um i would say the least important thing they did was teach me how to get better at squash it was much more about uh character and growing up and learning about life and seeing the world and learning how to win and lose and compete and struggle and get along and and push push yourself um, you know as an athlete but as a person so i mean any sport that works well for a young person does does more for the person off the playing field of the court than on and that was definitely the case with my high school squash coach a uh, guy named George Seeley, and my college squash coach, whose name was Sean Sloan.
0: Yeah, and, and what, kind of, what kind of athlete, uh, student athlete were you? Were you the guy that needed to be pulled by the earlobe to get to the library and to be pulled by the earlobe to clean up his room and keep his order, You know, to show up on time, or were you kind of a disciplined kid already who just needed to know the right direction to go?
1: I was always a pretty disciplined, competitive kid um, yeah. and wanted to do well. I certainly wasn't the brightest kid in the class, but I was among the harder workers. And uh, I, I had a talent with racket sports for sure, um, right, right for, for many years, starting mm-hmm. with the tennis court. I had more talent on a court than I did in the classroom but I worked very hard at my studies and I did reasonably well, but I was never like, you know, the shining s- star of a student. It was much more about hard work to do, to get whatever grades I got. Um, but on the squash and tennis court, this the, came, came natural. It might be the only thing I'm natural at is playing squash <laughs> and tennis. That's um,
0: nice. Yeah. So, so Greg, so you go through college and then I'm assuming there's the, like many of us did, you kind of wrap up school and you start to get serious with your life, or at least reasonably serious, you are like I got to form a career, I've got to turn something I'm interested in into something I want to do for the foreseeable future. What's the transition between college and squash busters? Where's that journey?
1: The transition was that all through my twenties, I was a pro squash player as a job uh, wow. so I didn't start squash buster I was 32 so when I got out of college I basically played squash through my 20s full-time and cobbled together enough money to live a, a meager existence as a single guy in his 20s so my my initial passion was to was to see how good I could get as a player And i got pretty good i mean this is now back in the 80s and 90s early 90s but i i i rose up to top five in north america and was was very competitive i was doing it full time but i i was pretty clear that once my playing days ended i was not interested in being a coach or a teaching pro i really wanted to go into public service generally speaking but didn't know how or where and uh, I ended up while I was a squash pro doing some things in state government worked criminal justice division worked for affordable housing worked did a stint with the parole board in Massachusetts in Boston all on the side not not a real job just a job to get experience And then I went, um, in my very late 20s, I enrolled at the Kennedy School of Government. And it was at the Kennedy School in um, the final semester where I wrote a paper in an entrepreneurship class. And the paper was about starting an urban uh, youth development program with the sport of squash. It was actually called uh, an urban youth development program, bringing squash down from its ivory tower. I hadn't yet called it Squash Busters, but I, it, clearly the idea was starting to start to enter my my mind. And it wasn't more than two years after the Kennedy School, which I finished in 1993, that I uh, that I started.
0: It sounds like, and and it may not have felt it, but it sounds like you had sacrificed a lot to get to that point. You had been playing hard and not making a lot of money and then figuring out a way to get into public service. So what was your motivation for public service and how did you hear that calling? It's it's quite different, Greg, than I would say most people who are graduating college and, you know, looking for some sort of wealth opportunity. I mean, why public service?
1: Actually, I don't, really think I've ever sacrificed, to be honest with you. I've always done exactly what I've been motivated to do. Uh, I think I've made about the least sacrifice of, any, of anybody I know my age, um, because I just followed my heart. I played squash because that's what I wanted to do and somehow could support myself. And I, I, I didn't want a, a life that was about just acquiring wealth. Not to say that money doesn't matter, but that wasn't gonna be it for me. I was really not wanting to compromise the life I wanted to lead. So I was really on a search to do something that really got me amped up every day. And public service is a very, I knew I wanted some form of public service, but a lot of these jobs are, are pretty grim. And you know, and Working I'm for the parole
0: board sounds grim.
1: Well, I didn't want to work in an office setting and I didn't want to work for a big organization and I didn't want change to happen, not at all, or very slowly.
0: Mm.
1: And so I, you know, the idea of doing my own thing was right up my alley. I didn't need, need needed to be the biggest thing. And so, you know, squash busters was, I mean, basically like and it has been for 25 years my life's passion so there hasn't been a there hasn't been a lick of compromise for me in in how to spend my time
0: so you know let me see if I got the formula right urban setting children who don't have access to the same opportunities as children growing up in different zip codes Those opportunities are quality of education, trajectory to college, trajectory to career path where they maximize who they can be and their own individual potential. So you start to plan this out and you start to think, well, geez, if I can teach them squash and make sure that they have good academic, you know, expertise along the way. I know that these special colleges are looking for two things going forward. They're looking to diversify their student population, and they're looking for great squash programs like great squash players. And by the way, you got to be able to do the schoolwork if you're going to come to these better schools. So, was your idea to take to help accelerate that equality and inclusion power curve that kind of happened during the, you know, eighties and nineties and early aughts? And try and set up a path for these kids to get access to these special places by teaching them the game of squash. I mean, is it as simple as that?
1: Uh, yes, there. All of that is true, what you just described. But I, I would say that the key—those are sort of like the bricks of the, of the squash buster's house. But I, there's something uh, much more important that actually is uh, about the success, and that is the relationships and the mentoring and the sense of family and human connection that the program creates and that's also uh, something that less privileged kids have less of and that is uh why it works it isn't because squash is some magical sport it's really about human connection and and community and a place where kids develop an identity where they feel um challenged appreciated respected loved and so when you create that type of community whether it's around the sport of squash or tiddlywinks or whatever it works and um and i think that's an important message to stress because yeah college getting kids to go to college and and the health piece and you know ultimately uh Career success are things that we talk about here. They do matter a lot. Leveling the playing field, racial justice, they all matter here a lot. But you don't get to any of those things just by saying that's what you're going you to do. You, um, you have to create an environment that people want to spend a lot of time in and invest in.
0: How do you create that environment uh you know talk about or at least what i've read on on the website opportunity gap and closing that opportunity gap and now what you just shared with me is it's just not about financial resources and access to courts it's also access to caring and love and self-identity and self-esteem that sounds like a really complicated formula to to build and it's not one that you can just go get a construction company put together, right? How do you create a community where you have mentors leading this change where people feel more loved? It's actually
1: not that complicated at all because people all want to be a part of a community like that because that's what we all kind of want, no matter where you come from or what you look like. And what it, the way you do it is you spend a lot of time together. And you make sure that there are a few words that you're always that that are held sacred, like honesty, kindness, empathy, respect, understanding, these types of words, trust, hard work, and you model that behavior in your own actions and in your program model, in your program model, and that means that you've got you've gotta set up a program where kids are in it a lot doing it a lot, because if they do it a little, then it doesn't mean anything to them, because they're not they're not investing. So it was very intentional that the program started with a three-day-a-week, all-school-year expectation requirement. And it's still that way, and for some students, particularly in Boston, um, they do more than three days a week. So what ends up happening, and it starts at the beginning in a middle school, and it goes through high school, and then there's a whole college piece, which looks very different because they're out in college. But the, the idea is lots of time together, caring people, honest people, following through on your word, working hard, this type of thing. And when you do that over and over again, what comes of it is a caring community. And people like that. Everybody likes that. And there isn't enough of that in the world. (laughs) So we happen to do it with squash, but the smartest thing we've ever done is not get too big. And it doesn't mean we don't push ourselves to get more kids in it, but it never, you don't compromise or, or diminish the dosage piece because that is what builds the community, the values.
0: What is what is your theory of change? So it's pretty audacious. I'm just reading on the website. Squatchbusters envisions a world where every young person is provided with the opportunities they need to fulfill their greatest potential. A pr- pretty audacious um, you know, statement and, and challenge. How are you doing with your theory of change and? You know closing that opportunity gap
1: you'd have to talk to the kids i think that generally we're doing really well i mean we you we create we open up doors of opportunity for kids in a variety of ways you know educationally athletically socially places they travel broadening the world that they see community service connecting them to other people in need opening up their hearts we we create a theory of change by teaching them about themselves and their own capacity to 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 grow and struggle and and succeed and to dream it doesn't work for every single kid equally well but no doubt kids have gone to to better colleges have have traveled more of the world have built more friendships I think have changed their, and this is an interesting question, their views on, on race and on, and, and hopefully been inspired to do something about the unjust world we live in, because there's no doubt there was an intention here all, right from the get go to bring people of different colors and different economic backgrounds together who basically would otherwise likely never see each other. Mm. There was a lot around that that I think is, is t- tremendously important. It's a much harder thing to prove impact, what that actually does, not just for Squash Buster kids, but for all the other people. But I think everybody recognizes that that's important and rare. And, you know, the Moses Brown situation, I, I'd like to see another community in the whole city of Providence. That on a daily basis is bringing rich and poor kids together to stand side by side doing the same thing. It just doesn't happen in our world because of the way opportunity parses out and resources, et cetera. Everybody hangs out with the people just like themselves, and that's it.
0: Got a great quote from you. It says We do this to even the odds to make society more equal than it naturally is. Yep. Right so that's what you're really getting at you know when you're evening the odds like how do you how do you see that cause and effect meaning what do you see about the odds that are unfair how how are you evening it out
1: i mean everything unfair has you you,
0: by the way you laughed a little bit for that question well because 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 it's because it's so silly or so simple
1: it's not really simple, but it's so omnipresent. It's so everywhere that when you say, you know, where are things unequal or where, you, you know, they're unequal in schooling, they're unequal in, in, in environment, they're unequal in housing, they're unequal in um, sports, they're unequal in health care, they're unequal in job opportunities. They're, they're, and in they're justice. And, and, and in justice. Yeah. And it breaks out along racial lines. Look what's going on in the world. And then racial lines break out around financial lines. And the whole thing is way unequal, it has been since the founding of the country. So squash busters isn't gonna change the entire system, but the idea was to give kids a little a little boost. And what does that mean? It means ultimately letting them compete and succeed in a bigger world and and get into great schools and access great jobs and and grow the kind of inner confidence they need to do anything they want to do among any any types of people they need to do it. I mean I want kids to feel like they can run for president. And I, I don't do too. I don't want there to be limits. And the Moses Brown kids are brought up to feel that way. And they're, they're, they're mentored that way uh, from a very young age by their parents, by their teachers, by their coaches, by, by people they tr- travel with in the summer, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, guess what happens? They start thinking that way as they grow into the world, and then they go and do those things. Well, that's not the same way it is across society. Um, When I, uh, a little story to tell, back in 1996, this relates to Rhode Island, I decided one afternoon that I was going to take the Boston kids down to Brown for a little field trip for squash and swimming. This is like two months into the program. And I say in the van, I remember this, how many people have... uh, have ever been to Rhode Island, and I think maybe about a third had crossed state lines. I mean, you know, and we yeah. just assume these things. You know, no, you know, I. Two thirds of the van was entering Rhode Island, 45 minutes to the south for the first time in their lives, and that illustrates how unfair the world
0: is. Hey. When you think back about some of the coaches that you've had in your program or some of the alums who have gone through it, do any of them stand out in your mind as examples of great mentors or, or any of the kids' stories that you can share that you, know, you reflect back on and think, wow, what a journey?
1: I mean, there are a lot of them. I think one that's really important to highlight is that the program director in Providence, the boss of Providence, Rodney Galveo, is a squash buster alum who grew up in dorchester who i met when he was 12 years old in a gymnasium clinic at his school the mccormick school and he stayed through the program loved it went off to bates college played squash there graduated and started working for us and you know initially as the head of squash middle school squash in boston and when providence opened he moved down to providence and he became the program director, but there are many others, many, many others, you know, police officers, a young woman that's just joining our board who's at Harvard Law School right now, 12 year old girl who grew up in Roxbury, uh, always motivated students that have their own businesses that work in hospitals, nine alumni on our staff now, so about a third of the entire staff are graduates of the program you know, on and on it goes. Kids, kids that have gone to just fabulous colleges, kids that have started. One young man that started uh, also at Bates College an, a, an urban squash program of sorts for Somali and Sudanese refugees living in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, he did that because of his experience at squash Busters. His name is Patrick Williams. He now is a program director at a Y in Los Angeles. Uh, It just, you know, it's sort of a little bit of uh, the dream come true. Yeah,
0: they're beautiful stories.
1: Yeah, and there are many, many more of
0: them. Greg, when you think back about all the competitions that you played in as a player and seeing all the kids come through your program, what do you think you and they gain more from, the wins or the losses?
1: You always gain more from the loss, I think, as a competitor. The losses sting and they should sting more than the wins should feel good. Um, you grow more through adversity than you do through triumph. So I think triumph matters because if you never experience it, you don't really know that it's out there for you. But you really improve. That's what change is when you struggle. And you have to confront yourself and look inward at the, at the competitor, the human being, the student, the citizen that you are. And so, um, I don't ever like stuff to come easy. It's, the, the growth is in, is in the tough stuff. And it's also in the tough stuff at SquashBusters. You know, when things are going too well, uh, we've gotta, we gotta look inward. Cause it's, there's always, there's always ways to get better. Always.
0: Great attitude. Um, If people are listening to this and and they've been through your program, or if uh, somebody listens to this and and wants to connect with you, Greg, how can they support squash busters and how can they reach out to you? Hey, I want to get my kid in the program or, Hey, I want to help volunteer or whatever support they can give. What's the best way to reach, reach them?
1: G. zaff at squashbusters.org or 617-645-6051 which is my cell phone call it, it call it any time and um yeah i mean it, the whole the whole success of the program relies on people end of story so we always need people who want to help
0: and if you're hearing the story and you're thinking about the coach that you went the to- you through high school or got you through college or got you through pop warner don't forget that coach that coach wants to hear from you so if that string in your heart is getting tugged listening to greg's you know inspirational stories about the lives he's changing don't forget about the coaches that have brought you through whatever you went through as well because they're there and they, and they matter and, and they really change our communities one kid at a time greg thanks so much for being with us today and it's a spectacular thing that you've done and as my nice. grand, my grandparents would have said, you're a real mensch.
1: Yeah.
0: Thanks, Gary. Yeah. It's, it's, Thanks it's, for inviting
1: me on your show.
0: It's an honor to have you. Tremendous respect for you and your program. Thanks so much, Greg. You're welcome. You've been listening to On the Whistle. For more, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, or visit us at onthewhistle.com.